Amen, amen. Hey guys, welcome to Hope City Church today. You guys happy to be in church? Yes. Hey, my name is Megan Gardner. My husband, Pastor Jono, and I are the campus pastors in Shepherdsville. Thank you for being with us today. However you find yourself watching, listening today, whether it's on YouTube or podcast or Facebook or in South Louisville or Shepherdsville, let's give a big hand to everybody in Shep over there. Hey guys, if this is your first time here, welcome again with us. We are at the end of a series called Made for Mondays, how to, say it with me, love Jesus more and hate your job. That's right, you guys. Four weeks that we've done this. This is the fifth week right now. We are just now ending the series, and I wanted to give you guys a heads up. In two weeks, we are starting a new one. I'm just going to put a little nugget in your ear for a brand new series called Roommates or Soulmates. This is a new relationship series that we're starting at Hope City. Two weeks, so mark your calendar all the way down with Made for Mondays today, and then we are starting a brand new one. So invite your friends, invite your family out, invite your roommate or your soulmate, and that's going to be exciting as well. Made for Mondays, how to love Jesus more and hate your job less. I want to share just a few stats that we've been looking at over these last four weeks, if this is your first week coming in with us today, that you spend 40% of your life at work some of you are like, yes, I feel that. Every percent of it, 40%. Two-thirds of people say that they are in the wrong job and are unfulfilled with their work. Anybody? And that there are 20% more heart attacks on Monday. Isn't that reassuring? And that people are 30% less productive at work on Mondays. But the common theme through all this and our prayer has been that you don't dread Mondays, that we find some awesome positivity as we go to work, that we know that we were made for this job, and we've learned awesome things. We've learned to honor authority in our lives over this series. We've learned that you can't be miserable and thankful for your job at the exact same time. We've learned that the best job is a blessed job, and asking God for success there and favor there is something that we need to do daily, and that God intended work to be a part of who we are, and that balancing rest and play can be difficult but is important as well. I've heard lots of awesome stories and feedback about how you guys have been blessed by this series, so continue to tell us how that's changed your life, because we absolutely love hearing it. All the wonderful things, your attitudes that are positive. Some of you have told me that you wrote thank you cards to your bosses, thank you cards to your coworkers, just being more appreciative over this series and how it's changed your life. I want to share something with you guys today, and I title it Letters of Resignation. Pretty cool, pretty cool. Um, I'm going to put them up on the screen in just a minute, and I'll read them out loud to you. And so if you've ever thought about quitting your job, hopefully you've never done it this way, um, but I think all of us have had that kind of story or that thought of maybe quitting our job pretty epically before. So I want to read these to you. The first one is on a yellow piece of paper, clearly. It's very professional. And it says, I quit because I didn't get enough hours and, not and, but and, and it feel like this job was holding me back, and I think I can do more. Thank you for the opportunity, signed, free band jizzle. 
I believe you can do so much more, free band. Good luck with that. <laughs> the next one is written on a piece of toilet paper. Wonderful as well. I would have loved to receive this as a boss. It says, I have chosen this type of paper for my two-week resignation as a symbol of how I feel this company has treated me. And ironically, how it is disposed of is where I feel this company is going. <laughs> Sincerely, employee with a beautiful picture of an actual toilet. And that's a really good picture. Props to this person. The next one says, Thank you very much for the wonderful time I had here. This is a drawing of a mic drop, and it is also my two-week notice. <laughs> Literal mic here. Thank you very much, Elizabeth Young. Let's give a hand for Elizabeth. Let's just say, mic drop. It's wonderful. And then this is the last one. This is actually written on a real sympathy card. This is my favorite one. The sympathy card reads, even though you knew this time would come, there's no way to prepare your heart for such a loss. I'm so sorry. Alex's two-week notice. <laughs> I love that. That's how I would like to go. Just put it in a card. Let that be that. Let it be epic. But I'd love to say we're going to talk to you today about five ways to epically quit your job. Everyone would get their notes out. That's not what we're going to talk about today. Today, I'd actually like to ask you a couple questions about your coworkers. Already, it's silent. So show of hands, how many of you have ever had, I don't want you to answer if you have currently had, because they might be here, they might attend Hope City, how many of you have ever had a coworker that you can't stand? Wow. Look at all the hands up. A coworker that you just can't stand. One thing about them might drive you crazy. Maybe it's a person who is always late or always unprepared when they come to work, and that just makes your job so much easier. Or maybe it's somebody who comes to work with a bad attitude every day, and everyone in the office can feel the tension when they walk in. It's like, Deborah's here. We can tell. It got 20 degrees colder. Or maybe you've had the thought, if this person would just retire, or if so-and-so would move on or accept that position, then things would be so much easier around here. I, confession, have had the daydream that my office burns down. Has anyone else had that? Wow, just me? Okay. Okay. I've had that daydream. Hopefully one day the boss doesn't come in and the whole place is closed. Ah, no. But maybe you sit next to somebody who isn't very pleasant. Maybe you sit next to somebody who brings a tuna fish sandwich to lunch every day and stanks up the place. You can call them big tuna from here on out. But seriously, maybe you rely on somebody for important information and they slack off, they forget to get that to you, and it's frustrating, it's upsetting, because it makes you look bad? Anyone just frustrated by other people in general? That's a good question to ask. Or maybe, literally, you have a horrible neighbor in your life. Maybe you don't necessarily go to work every day or commute every day, but maybe your just neighbor is not that pleasant. So when you come home from the grocery store or you come home from just being out, your neighbor's there, sitting on their front porch again, waiting to talk to you with their shirt off, as they do. <laughs> you're just trying to get inside your house. 
Or maybe your frustrations go a little bit deeper. Maybe you're angry with some of the people that you work with because you've been there for 10, 15, maybe 20 years. Maybe somebody ruined your life. And now, up until this point, it's been okay, but it's festering. You're frustrated. You're angry. Just thinking about them makes you angry. Maybe it's somebody who caused a rift in your family or caused some backbiting, maybe caused some problems, and now even when you guys get together as a family, you don't talk about that person. You don't talk about that time because it was that big of a deal. Or maybe someone's angry right now at somebody else for causing pain to somebody that you love. And it's hard to forgive that person and just get over it, right? So today, I want to end this whole series by talking about how God gave you and me the power of influence. Someone say influence. That's right. Influence at my job. Influence at the grocery store, influence at my school, influence to all the people around me. How the place where I reside, whether it be work, whether it be home, can be a mission field. And that we each have an assignment to that mission field, given to us by God. It might be to love the person in the cubicle to the right or the left of me. Or maybe to the desk across the hall. It might be to love the new trainee, or to my senior advisor, or my family members, or my friends, or my distant relatives. I want us to look at what it means to be salt and light. The Bible describes this in Matthew chapter 5. It says that our jobs as Christians is to be the salt of the earth. And what is salt? Salt is a preservative, and it also adds awesome flavor. I've seen people salt their bacon before. I kid you not. We are called to add flavor to the world and to be different. And we're also called to be light, light in a dark place. And that looks like loving people who are really hard to love, loving people who make us angry. We're challenged to just be a little weird as Christians, and that's okay. That means loving people who don't deserve it. I want us to believe this, that my job is an excuse to love people. That's our big idea today. My job is just an excuse to be around people who are frustrating, who are great. It's an excuse to love them all. That's at the top of your sermon guide. Circle it, highlight it. That's our topic for today. My job is an excuse to love people. And I believe this is important because all of us have experienced somebody who's unlovable to us, somebody we've deemed unlovable. That might look different for everybody. It's just a difficult person. We've all tried to rely on somebody who's maybe dropped the ball. We've all been faced with someone who has different beliefs than us, somebody who won't listen when we give them advice, who doesn't look the same, act the same, talk the same but we're still called to share Jesus with these people. We're still called to be a light to them, to be different than everybody else, to treat them different. So maybe that person is a family member for you. Maybe your mother-in-law, maybe your father-in-law. And you love them because they're your family. But if they secretly got hit by a bus, like you wouldn't be that upset. You'd be like, oh, no. She did. Darn. 
Come on. Or maybe that person is like an ex-mentor in your life. Somebody who you trusted, somebody who you spent time with, somebody who you opened up to, told secrets about your life, and you thought everything would be fine, and maybe it was for a while, and then all of a sudden things changed. Maybe you got embarrassed or insulted by somebody else, and now you're angry at them. You've maybe deemed them unlovable subconsciously. And if you are in this place and you say, I don't know, Pastor Megan, I, I like everybody. I, I get along with everyone. I don't make waves. I like all my coworkers. We get along just fine. None of us are ever frustrating. I don't believe you. I don't. You know why? Because there's one word, there's such thing called a telemarketer. And nobody likes telemarketers. I don't know if you've been honest. Be honest with yourself. Is there somebody that frustrates you? Because guess what? People frustrated Jesus. They sure did. Jesus didn't get along with everybody. Matter of fact, Jesus flipped tables over. Jesus called people vipers. Jesus had a problem with the church. Jesus was frustrated sometimes too. It's okay to be frustrated. So I want us to look at influence. And influence is defined as the capacity to have an effect on the character, development, or behavior of someone or something, the effect itself. I want us to look at how Jesus wants us to do, quote, ministry in our lives as Christians. There's a lot in the Bible that teaches us how to love people and who we should love, but I want to take a look at a specific chunk of Scripture today. So if you have your sermon guides, if you have your Bibles, they're either under the seat in front of you or on your seat. Grab those. We're going to be in Luke chapter 10, starting at verse 25. I'll give us a little bit of context starting here. Jesus is teaching here in Luke. And we're going to start with the most important commandment. That's the title of the scripture that we're about to start. And then we're going to go into the story that Jesus calls the Good Samaritan. He loved to teach lessons by telling stories, which are called parables. And that's exactly what we're going to take a look at today. So, Luke chapter 10, verse 25, somebody turn to your neighbor and say, love your neighbor. That's right. We're going to look at the Good Samaritan and loving your neighbor. Here we go. The most important commandment, it says, one day an expert in religious law stood up to test Jesus by asking him this question. Teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? So in other words, he's asking, what do I do to live a life that you approve of, Jesus? What will get me into heaven, right? Verse 26, as Jesus replied, what does the law of Moses say? How do you read it? Because this guy was a religious scholar. He studied the scriptures, so Jesus asked him, how do you read it? Verse 27 says, the man answered, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, all your mind, and love your neighbor as, everyone say, yourself. Right, Jesus told him, do this and you'll live. Verse 29 says, the man wanted to justify his actions, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? I love this. Place your finger there. Stop right there really quick. We read this scripture and we think, why would he ask that? 
it seemed like it should have just ended. Like Jesus just told us, love your neighbor as yourself. This is it. Jesus even said, right. Like ding, ding, ding. That's it. This guy had to take it one step further. Somebody should have told him in the crowd, stop it. Jesus just told us that's it. But he wanted to justify himself. So he asked, who is my neighbor? But I actually think that we ask this question too. Quite, quite often, actually. Because he's really saying, Lord, tell me who I don't have to love all the time. Tell me who I can exclude from the love category. Define neighbor for me. Because there's a couple people on my list that really make me angry that I don't feel like loving at all, ever. So who's on the list, Lord, right? We do ask him that, don't we? Please define to me who my neighbor is so once you clarify, I can eliminate some names. Because my growth group is great. My church is awesome. I love everybody there. But the person who bashed me two years ago, who's still trying to pop up on my newsfeed, still trying to contact me, I don't love that person, and I don't want to. I love my pastors. They're great. They're awesome. All the people they connect me with are awesome, and I love it. Everyone's positive and super. But my old pastor who hurt me at my last church, I don't love him anymore, nor do I want to. Right? My crew is tight. My boys, they have my back. But that person who tries to talk about me consistently, I don't love them. That person who broke my family apart, I don't love them. That person that I blame for the divorce of my parents, I don't love them. You see, the word neighbor in this context is very important. It doesn't mean neighbor like you and I use neighbor. Like, hey, neighbor, turn to your neighbor, high five them. No, it means something different. See, neighbor here defined in the Greek means children of my people. So in other words, neighbor means family, children of my people. So who is family? Lord, who do you want me to treat like family? That's what he's asking here. That means it's a a whole new meaning saying it that way. Because family is more than someone you just say hey to. Family is, I love you. I'm responsible for you. And see, this man was a religious scholar too. He understood what family meant. Family back then means a whole new thing than family does now. Family now, we barely call each other and say hey and get together. I don't know, but some of y'all vacation together with your family, so you are pretty close. I don't, I've never understood that, how people vacation with their family. Whew, drop me insane. But family back then, if, if a, a wife lost her husband and, and she was widowed, the family would take her in, would take on her burdens, would pay for her bills. Family. Back then, if a wife lost her husband and maybe her mother-in-law and father-in-law had more sons, they would offer more sons to her. They kept the family close. They traveled together. They moved together. Family units were big and they were strong. So God, who is included in this? Define this for me. Is my coworker my family? Is my neighbor next door my family? Is my family my family? And Jesus did what he always does, and he replied with a story. 
So we'll pop back in in verse 30. This is the parable of the Good Samaritan. God, define for me who is family. And Jesus says this in verse 30. A Jewish man was traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho, and he was attacked by bandits. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him up, and left him half dead beside the road. By chance, everyone say chance. By chance, a priest came along. So a pastor, maybe. Somebody. Priest, a pastor. He saw the man lying there. He crossed to the other side of the road, and he passed him by. The pastor, the pastor of the church, saw someone there, beaten, probably bloody, probably bruised, and walked by him and said, I have other things to do. I've got more important things to attend to. I'm on my way somewhere. I I don't really have time to deal with this right now. Let's continue. Verse 32 says, a temple assistant. Where are all my ushers at? (laughs) Two of you. Two ushers. Temple assistant, somebody who helps out at church, walked over and looked at him lying there, but he also passed by on the other side. Passed him. Then a despised Samaritan came along, and when he saw the man, he felt compassion for him. Felt compassion. Going over to him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged them. He put the man on his own donkey and took him to an inn where he took care of him. The next day, he handed the innkeeper two silver coins, telling him, take care of this man. And if his bill runs higher than this, I'll pay you the next time I'm here. For whatever he has, whatever his bill is, I'll take care of it. Now, which of these three would you say was a neighbor to the man who was attacked by bandits? Jesus asked. Verse 37 says, the man replied, the one who showed him mercy. Then Jesus says, yes, now go and do the same. This verse says that he was a despised Samaritan. I don't know if you guys know this. We always call him the good Samaritan. But back then, Samaritans and Jews, they didn't call each other good. They didn't like talking to each other. They were like modern day, complete opposites. So think of somebody who you wouldn't associate yourself with now. I know we all have somebody in our head. That's the person that helped this man, not the pastor. Because why? He he was moved with compassion. The Bible also says that he gave him two silver coins. He didn't just give him like two nickels. In some texts, this says that it was almost a day's worth of wages. In others, it says that it might have been two months worth of wages. Could you imagine finding somebody on the side of the road and saying, and stopping everything, everything you're doing, no matter where you're going, and and being moved with compassion enough to say, I'll pay for you. I'll pay for a night in a hotel for you. I'll pay for a week in a hotel for you so you can get back up on your feet. I'll, I'll bandage you. I'll help you. I'll get you up on your feet. See, Jesus, he tells this story because I think he loves to talk to religious people, doesn't he? Loves to address the church, loves to address you and me, who we call ourselves believers, loves to address religious people. Because for some reason back then and even now, we seem to get it backwards. We think that praying for people from afar is enough. We think that saying a prayer for them at night is enough, but it's not. 
People need help, real help. The Bible describes us as being the hands and the feet, the body of Christ. Hands and feet move, they reach, they do. Prayer is good, but it's not everything. See, it's easy to be the church at church. It's easy to come on Sundays and to listen to awesome messages. But once we get saved and ask Jesus into our lives, we now have an assignment and we now have influence. Where we go and what we do is up to us, but we carry Jesus with us. Everything we say, everything we do is a reflection now of the Holy Spirit inside of us. It's our job now. It's our challenge. It's our assignment to pick hurting people up, to bandage them and love them no matter where they are, whether they're sitting at a desk next to you, whether they're in the grocery store, on your way home when you're busy and you got stuff that you got to do. We all have lives, but there are people who are broken and hurting, and they're our job to lift up. Jesus and God, they challenge us with reaching lost souls. But lost souls aren't always far away. They're not always in Uganda or Guatemala or somewhere else. Your mission field could be right here where you spend 40% of your week in your life. Right there. A lot of us are priests. A lot of us are temple assistants. We've done church for a long time. Some of us have grown up in church. So we know the deal. But we still forget because as people, we want to qualify who's loved, who deserves my love, who deserves my money, who deserves my time. But we don't get to decide that. Jesus says, be salt and light to a lost and a broken world. But light shines wherever there's darkness, not just in certain places. You turn the light on, the whole room lights up. So what is being the hands and feet? What is ministry? What does that look like? It's simple acts. Maybe being the church is being a shoulder for someone to cry on who's just hurting, going through a tough time. Maybe it's showing kindness to a stranger. Maybe it's showing kindness to your parents. Maybe to your teachers or your spouse who's hurt you before. Being the church is standing up for your faith when someone's addressing it in a negative way. Being the church is holding your tongue when someone wants to bash you, whether it's publicly or not. That's being love. Being the church is showing mercy to somebody unlovable. And we all know somebody that we've deemed unlovable because we've deemed them that. Show mercy to them. Forgive them. Being the church is seeing the mom at the checkout with her kids, and she can't pay for her groceries, and you've got enough money, being the church. I love that we come here on Sunday. I'm not trying to say don't. I love that we join growth groups, but we also need to be active in our faith, testing it, trying it, carrying God with us, because you spend an awful lot of time other places than right here, maybe about an hour a week, Maybe about an hour, hour and a half at growth group. Not if you go to Pastor Joe's growth group, you spend four hours. <laughs> but a few hours a week there. What other ministry could you be doing at work where you spend a lot of time? You know, if you 
work an eight-hour workday, let's say you work nine to five, and you sleep eight hours, which a lot of us don't even get that much sleep, but let's say hypothetically you get eight hours of sleep, and you're left with, what, about eight hours at home. But a lot of us work more than that. We work overtime. We work weekends. We're there early. And that doesn't even count the hour before work, getting ready for work, getting the kids in the car, getting lunches packed, getting everybody ready to go. It's not family time. It's just getting to work and school time. You spend the majority of your day with people who aren't your family. The majority of your life with people who aren't your family. So we've got to look up from our desks and see that there's a human being sitting next to me who needs Jesus just as much as I did before I knew him. I thank God every day for the fact that somebody saw me and invited me to church. That was a big deal, a big deal in my life. And that could be a big deal in somebody else's life. I want people to be more than just coworkers or associates. I want to make them family. Because the man here who wasn't family by blood became family by love. That's what God is asking us to do. They don't have to be blood, but they become family by love. The Bible says that you will be known of your works by your fruit, and a fruit of the Spirit is love. Loving people is hard. That's not an easy thing to do. I get it. That's difficult. Especially when they've stabbed you in the back, when they've called you names, when they've hurt your family, when they've split your family. It's hard to love that person. But Jesus says, make time. Make time for that person. Make time for your opposite to love them, to dress their wounds, to care for them. So I want to ask you this question today. Who at work do you treat like family? Just think about it for a minute. Who at work do you treat like family? And think about how you treat your family. I don't know about you, but when my family gets together, we give each other big bear hugs. We kiss each other. We want to spend time with each other. We laugh together. We cry together. We invite each other over. We enjoy each other's company. Who at work do you treat like family? I want to end with this today explaining a little bit about this scripture. It's difficult, I think, to help the people that we see are hurting because some of us, if we could admit it, we just don't enjoy people. We just don't like people very much. And I pray God helps us with this. I pray God gives us a burden for people. If that's never a prayer that you prayed, I do encourage you to pray it. Some of you consider yourself, I'm not a people person. I've heard you say it. I've heard many people say it. I'm not a people person. But you can't love Jesus and hate people. It's not in our DNA. What's interesting is, we've been saying this entire series, that God is working on you while you work, that God cares about your job, that it means something, that you have got meaningful work. But you don't want to know why God cares about your work. Because people are there. And God cares about people. God so loved the world that he sent his son to not work for us, to work with us. 
to become man, to become us, to see what it's like to experience our pain and to take on our pain. He cares about your coworkers, even when we don't. He cares about the person sitting in jail because they tore your family apart and they're not far gone. Jesus can still redeem them, even if you've deemed them unredeemable because nothing excludes somebody from the love of God. We put that on ourselves. We think they haven't earned it. They haven't deserved it. They haven't deserved my love. They haven't deserved my forgiveness, but they've deserved the Lord's. And that's all that should matter. So I want to give you guys an opportunity today to be honest. I love coming up here and I love speaking because I love sharing transparency and I love being honest. Maybe you've been passing some people by. Maybe you have somebody that you're thinking of right now who you spend a lot of time at your work week with that you've deemed unlovable. I pray that you are overwhelmed with compassion for them. Because nobody's unlovable. I pray that the Holy Spirit would burden you for the people you spend so much time with. And yes, they might have done some unforgivable things, but we all have. We all have taken a step in the wrong direction. And my heart and my prayer is that for a moment, we get a glimpse of the love of God that was poured down on us. Maybe it's in a form of a thank you card. Or maybe it's just you being nice to that person because nobody else is. Showing kindness is love. It's the love of God. It might be that simple. But that is my prayer today. I've done a lot of talking about passing people by and, you know, us being the ones who walked away from the man. But maybe you're in here today, and maybe you're the Jewish traveler. Maybe you're the one that's down. Maybe you're the one that's been beaten, been hurt. Maybe you're the one that's taken a spiritual attack by spiritual bandits in your life. Maybe you've recently had everything taken from you. Maybe you're in a crossroads and you don't know where to go and you need some help. Maybe you need some guidance. Maybe you need someone to come and reach down, pull you up and say, I'll take this burden on with you because you're my family. We go to church together. We are family. You know, the scripture says that he was beaten. And I think to myself, probably left half dead. But if you're half dead, you know that means you're still half alive. So you might have been hurt by somebody recently. You might still be experiencing some pain in your life, but you're still half alive. So maybe you need to take some time today to forgive some people, but to let somebody love on you. Let someone be that good Samaritan to you. Let someone be family to you. Let someone lift you up 
I'll never forget, I'm ending with this story, because um, I'll never forget it. Just a few weeks ago, it wasn't very long, that a couple brought a friend to church on a high invite Sunday in Shepherdsville. And I'd never seen this man before in my life. And we just went through church. We did service. We were hanging out afterwards. And they come up to me and they say, Pastor Megan, we, we just want to know your opinion and what you think we should do. This is a, not a friend of ours. This is somebody that we just picked up this morning and brought to church with us because he was lying on our front lawn. And on our way to church, we get out and we're like, oh my goodness. And I thought, they were inconvenienced that morning. They had somewhere to be. They got kids. They were loading them up in the car. Everybody was getting ready and getting out the door. But they allowed themselves that day to be inconvenienced by someone broken, someone hurting. And they brought them to church. <laughs> and it made my heart so happy because I thought, God, I never want to be that person that is so busy that I pass somebody who needs help. God, I never want to be a church that doesn't love someone like family. I never want to be so busy that I'm not moved with compassion for lost people. Because then my heart would be so hard. And then I would reflect a religious leader. And Jesus doesn't like religious leaders. We've learned this. <laughs> he always addresses them. No, I'm just kidding. But I want to be that person that's always moved by compassion for the people around me. And it's important today to know that you've been given a specific assignment to the people you see every day. And they may act like they've got it all together, but that doesn't mean they do. Everybody at some point needs help, and everybody needs Jesus. That's our job. That's our assignment, and that's our power of influence that we have at our workplace, at the grocery store, at church, at any place you find yourself. I'd like to end today with some prayer, and we will in just a moment. And I want to remind you that we're going to have prayer in a moment. And maybe you've been passing people by. Maybe you've been too busy to see other people hurting. I'd love for somebody to pray with you through that. Maybe you're on the other end and you're broken down, half dead but half alive, and you need someone to pray with you. I encourage you to take advantage of that time. Let's pray together. Jesus, I thank you, God, for your Holy Spirit inside of us teaching us and leading us to be compassionate for those around us. God, I thank you as we end this series that you've given us a heart for the broken people in this world. I thank you that you've called us to be the light to them. And God, I know it might be difficult for some of us because we might be the only one. We might be the only one in our family or at our job that loves you. And it's hard to stay a Christian in a world that's not. But I pray that you would encourage us, give us the strength, give us the influence to talk like you, walk like you, love like you. 
I pray that you wouldn't let us grow weary in well-doing, but God, that you would let us be effective in whatever ministry you allow us to do, whether it's a simple act of kindness, whether it's picking somebody up off the street, whether it's being a shoulder to cry on, or whether it's leading someone through forgiveness prayer. I thank you for your love in our lives. And I thank you for this day that you've given us to be your light. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.